up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 9. Today's podcast is brought to you by BooklaunchMentor.com. If you've dreamed of writing and actually publishing your story, you'll find all the mentoring you'll need to fulfill that book launching dream at BooklaunchMentor.com. It's a mouthful. And I would like to say that the mentoring intensive is open now for registration, and uh, it is on May 12th and 13th. And I'm not sure by the time this airs, it might be all closed up, but there will be another one in the middle of July. So be um, paying attention to that if you'd like to come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and learn everything that I know about publishing and writing and producing and marketing a book. So find out all the information you need to know at booklaunchmentor.com. Before we get into today's broadcast, I would like to highlight the iTunes review of the week. And today's is by TGW. They write, I listened to many podcasts. When I heard Mary DeMuth had one, I thought I'd give it a try. The first one I listened to was her own restory. I have to tell you, I can't get it out of my mind. It's a haunting story in and of itself. But Mary's unapologetic delivery, even through the tears, makes her a story not of a tragedy, but of a victory for her and for Christ. In sharing such a painful and personal story, Mary's tone is encouraging, compassionate, and courageous. I was so moved by her story that I couldn't help but share it with others. Mary's compelling story hooked me on the Restory show. Her interviews are interesting. And there's still more (laughs) to this. Oh, there we go. And inspirational. I highly recommend it. So TGW, thank you so much for offering that review. And it just really means a lot to me. And I'm, I'm so grateful that the Restory show has been a blessing to you. And if you would like to add um, and maybe have your own review heard on the Restory Show, go ahead to, and jump on over to the iTunes store and look up the Restory Show if that's uh, not where you look at it and uh, just drop a review. It'll just help other people to find the Restory Show and that would be really a, a great gift to me. So thank you in advance. Also, if you have a, a little tiny story to tell, two minutes or less, you can be featured on the Restory Show toward the end of each broadcast and you just go to marydemuth.com and look for the um, little icon uh, on the side of the page where it has a microphone and you can share your two-minute story. Today, I'm welcoming Leanne Garfias to the Restory Show, and I'm so excited about having her on here. She lives in the town next to mine, and we kind of ran into each other randomly one day and started up a friendship. So that, to me, is the power of breakfast tacos, because that's how we met each other. So uh, she has a great story. She was raised in a difficult home, and she's learned to triumph through that and to learn how to forgive the people in her past. So without further ado, here is Leanne. Hey, everyone. It's Mary from The Restory Show, and today I have on the show Leanne Garfius, and she is a friend of mine who we met in a funny little way, actually. I was meeting a a friend that I didn't know, a new friend, at, at Chiloso, our favorite little breakfast place here in Texas, and... So this lady came up to me and she said, Mary, and I was like, oh, this must be the stranger that I'm meeting for breakfast. But she was a different stranger. And the other stranger... Yeah, go ahead. It was actually your creepy social media stalker. <laughs> she was my creepy social media stalker. And the funny thing was, is the person I was meeting for breakfast never showed up. And so I ended up having breakfast with her and her husband, and then we became friends. So here we are. 
And you never found out what I did with that first friend, did you? <laughs> no, no, it's so funny. But that's just a joke. I'm sure she was just fine. But it was it was very providential because that was right when I, I was looking for this exact kind of friendship, someone who, who I could be a friend to, but also could answer some of my own burning questions. So I was really glad how the Lord brought our paths together. <laughs> It was fun. It's been fun watching uh, you just kind of grow in the publishing industry. You have a book out called Rocking Ordinary, and uh, that was a fun book to read and uh, also hard. I mean, it has parts of your story in it, so you're going to share some of that today. But if listeners want to grab that, they should because it's got a really cool cover and it's really fun. <laughs> yes. You will recognize it by the latex glove <laughs> yes. a distinct gesture on the front of it. <laughs> right. Which is supposed to mean I love you, right? Is that what it's supposed well, to mean? Well, originally, yes, but it's the rock on sign. So it was kind of controversial when the book cover came out, but it's very memorable and it's caused a lot of people to grab the book who might not have always been open to hearing such a distinctive Christian message about the role women play in their everyday life. Awesome. So that's been exciting. That mm-hmm. is exciting. And um, so anyway, I'm so glad you're here and I know you have a great story to tell. So Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit, um, I know you're going to kind of go into your growing up story, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you met your husband, how many kids you have, and what you're doing right now. I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in Indiana and grew up in the Detroit area. And I went to Christian schools for most of my life, and but I was, or for the first half of my schooling, I should say, and then I was homeschooled from seventh grade on. So that is kind of unusual. And I met my husband in college. We both met at Bob Jones University, which is also a very funny story because he is an immigrant from Peru and he was there on a student visa. So the chances of the two of us meeting in the United States was really low. And then just because of his background, it's actually very um, unusual how the Lord led him specifically to Bob Jones University because we're such completely different people. And he came from um, really a much more liberal (laughs) or lenient background than I did. But it was God's grace. And we met there and eloped to (laughs) South Florida. (laughs) Such a romantic place, South Florida. (laughs) Well, yeah, sometimes. (laughs) And um, we've lived happily ever after for the last 20 years. We have four children from 18 to nine, and we're in the process of adopting from foster care. And right now we live here in the Dallas area. I live right across the lake from Mary, and we've been here for the past decade and hope to live here forever. It's a great place to raise a family. We're very happy. God has been good. Yeah, it is a great place to raise a family. You're right. And I I think about that often when I long for home because my home's the Northwest. And and I think, oh, but Texas is so good. (laughs) It's such a great little nation. (laughs) It is. It's really nice, especially if you're in in the Dallas suburbs. I think it's it's especially family friendly in this part of Texas even. And we have the nice we have the city part and you can um, drive just a few minutes to the country part. We've lived, I lived in the Midwest and then obviously we were married in South Florida and then we lived um, and served in a church in Connecticut for eight years before we came here. So having been in all those different areas of the country, Mm -hmm. I would definitely say this is the best place. 
And her next job, she's going to be a real estate agent and she'll be uh, <laughs> listing a house for you. You can come by. <laughs> so um, tell us the story that you want to share today, because this is one story, because you gave me a little hint on what it was going to be about. This is a story that it hasn't really been told on the Restory show yet, but I think is really, really important. Um, Thomas Umstadt was on a, f- a few weeks ago, and he had kind of, uh, kind of in the same vein, but not really. And so I, I really would love to hear your story. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. So my parents were saved before I can even remember. It was after I was born, but before before I was very old, I was probably like three or four. And so my entire life, I've always been in church. We were the Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and every single night of revival meetings. Kind of <laughs> How many times were you revived? I want to know. Oh, lots. And I have a very strongly developed guilt um, <laughs> from all of that. So I would definitely walk the aisle at least once a week. So you were so, resaved about 50 times at least. I was resaved a couple of times, but <laughs> I was always, I felt the need to confess at the altar always. <laughs> confess and rededicate. Yes. So I'm, I'm definitely covered in that department. <laughs> have it saved up a little bit. <laughs> So that was kind of my background. And there's a lot of wonderful things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that um, I was under so much preaching. So I could definitely explain to you the Baptist distinctives and how to defend them. And I had a really good handle on Bible doctrine before I even went to college. And I have huge chunks of scripture memorized from winning all the Iwana Awards and Neighborhood <laughs> Bible Awards. So there, there's a lot that I'm really thankful for, for with that. And, you know, it was, it's really special that I was able to go to Christian schools for all of my young years and then being homeschooled, especially back if those of us who were homeschooled in the eighties and nineties, it was really hard. And um, it was like a, it was a pioneer mission. We didn't know very many people. It was really hard on our parents to take that step and to be able to provide for education. And my parents gave me really good education. I'm really grateful for that. So I have a lot to really be grateful for in my past. And I think that's what I focused on a lot when I was growing up and what I was reminded of probably constantly growing up. And I didn't realize until I went away to college. Um, Ironically, I went to what was even, um, especially during this time, what was one of the most strict Christian yes. schools you could go to. Um, they had a lot of um, what most students thought were oppressive rules and very stringent standards, not only for how you behaved, but even how, how you would live your life outside the university too. So it was it was a whole system of behavior and beliefs. But to me, it was much more liberal (laughs) than what I'd grown up under. So I experienced a freedom I had never known by being out of the house. And it was there actually in my general psychology class, which was one of the most popular classes um, in college. It had a very engaging professor and he was very personable and very knowledgeable. He had actually been saved after he'd been practicing psychology for many, many years. So he could glean from his um, clinical experience and his hospital experience to um, explain what we were learning. And 
this is the first time I'd ever studied psychology. You don't really get a lot of that when, when you're homeschooled in high school. <laughs> so I was really interested in it. And our textbook was a secular textbook and we would read our assignments. I was a very conscientious student. So I'd read every single word of that assignment and then come ready to take notes in class. And um, I very early in that semester became troubled by the things my teacher was telling me. It just didn't sit, sit right. I would, I started actually um, breaking out in sweat and I would feel nauseous. Uh, I would sometimes start crying and I couldn't really explain what was wrong, but the class just became really upsetting to me. And so, whereas all my classes always sat right in the front center, right in front of the teacher, I have teacher's pet written all over my forehead. Um, In this one, I started hiding as much as I could because I was afraid I was going to fall apart during the class. Because gradually, little by little, as he began to explain what what are healthy relationships and what are dysfunctional relationships and what is um, normal, um, mature adult life and what is abnormal destructive and sinful behavior, um, the more I realized that I was the victim of physical abuse. And I didn't know how to handle that. It just completely upended my worldview. And my, which I didn't, I couldn't have said worldview then. I don't think we talked about worldview. <laughs> but it, 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 it completely turned my, my view of my life and who I was, who my parents were, what my family was, what my church said, what I believed. And I, I didn't know how to handle it. It was very upsetting. Yeah. Um, and now, look, now looking back, I realize there, there were a lot of students that were going through that. And he tried to make it easy on students. He recognized and he said often throughout the course, many of you are coming you're just growing up. This may be your first time out of home, out of your home. This may be the first time that you've learned or come to realize um, some of the difficulties that you may be facing or someone that you know is facing. So please come and see me so I can help you with it. I was too scared. Hmm. I couldn't have said to anyone for all the money in the world that I'm in trouble and I'm afraid to go home. I, I wouldn't have known how to articulate that or even had the, um, had the courage to. I had a friend who was an international student that I befriended the very first day I landed on campus as a freshman. And because she was an international student, she was there on a on a special scholarship to enable local uh, students to from an indigenous students to get the training that they needed to go back to their home countries and, um, and be able to serve the Lord there. So she was learning about special education so she could take it back to her country. And I met her in a couple of my music classes and befriended her and realized that because of her scholarship, she couldn't afford to go back and forth home during semester breaks. So she didn't have anywhere to go when the campus was virtually closed um, during Christmas time. So I would bring her home with me. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it was after, I think, the second visit to my house that she said, I don't think you should be going home anymore, Leanne. And that really troubled me, too. And I said, why? And she didn't use the word abuse. I think it was really wise of her not to, because if she had, I probably I would have screamed at her or something. But she said, it's not this isn't a good this isn't a good environment for you. You would do well to go tell someone that you need somewhere else to stay and get some help so that you can better relate 
in your family and know how to to deal with the difficulties that you have at home. Wow. I didn't know what to say. I was too scared. Hmm. But I'm really grateful that she had the courage to tell me because at least it it helped to solidify. I'm not crazy. Someone else has seen it too. Yes. And knows that that I need help. But um, another thing that um, I learned years later is that there were there were a lot of students who were facing similar situations on campus at the same time. And we didn't know it because we were all hiding this secret. And it caused the institution a lot of embarrassment later when it came out that they didn't always help these people. Some of them who actually faced dangerous situations while they were students and others who tried to ask for help about situations that they were dealing with that didn't involve the irony of our convers- the way that we met was that the person I was meeting and eventually did meet at um, Cheloso was one of the investigators on um, the inquiry to how that university responded to allegations of abuse. And so it's just kind of an interesting story of how it all kind of weirdly weaves together. <laughs> and I didn't find out about any of that until I had been away from from the campus for over a decade. But I, re- I remember starting to read it on the internet. I think the rise of the internet kind of helped victims be able to share their stories, find each other and, and find a way to get help. But I remember reading some of these stories and crying. I feel awful for all of the people. And that's why I wanted to talk about this with you because I'm sure some of your listeners have gone through a similar painful Thing in their past and they're not sure how to deal with it. When I read these stories, I felt awful for them. And you never like to hear about people who went through such horrible hurt in their lives. But at the same time, I felt this incredible relief. Like I wasn't going crazy. I really couldn't get help there. I really did the right thing to run away. And that's what I did. I ran away. And it sounds like um, just the, the worst possible case scenario. <laughs> I don't advocate this as a recipe for success. <laughs> I ran The restoration show <laughs> would like to encourage all of you to run away. <laughs> yes. I don't say that if you've been abused, you should elope. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's not usually how God works healing <laughs> in this. Um, but it actually was the exact best thing for me. We ran away and eloped in South Florida and then just being away, completely away from not only my family, but that whole circle of influence that I felt was was so confusing to me. That brand of Christianity that um, felt like it was hurtful or it was confusing the, the message of pain with with God's will for my life. And um, I needed quite a few years away from that before I could really find my way back to what is God's truth? How is God like and dislike a father? What is, how is God's chastening painful yet not harmful in my life? And how is, how is loving parenting involving uh, loving patient, gentle discipline while still being firm and protective. So that took a whole lot <laughs> of time and, and grace. I mean, how did, how did that work for you as you began to unlock or uncover the layers of just all the stuff that went on and how does forgiveness, you know, filter into all that? 
One of the hardest things that actually I still struggle with um, is growing when you grow up in a Christian home with with painful covered up sin, um, whether it's abuse or infidelity or or what, or addiction. There's this denial that becomes ingrained in the family culture where everyone learns to say that we are a certain way. You learn to say certain verses. You learn to put on this face when you go to church. You learn what is what only happens behind closed doors and what we say to excuse it on the other side of the door. So this becomes so much a part of of how we frame the world, the vocabulary that we use to describe it, that it is really hard to understand what is truth and what is lies. And um, what's the, what is the difference between what actually happened and what I, I have been saying happened to me for all of these years. And I think that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of of patience um, for the people that are around us. In my case, I'm so grateful that God gave me the husband that he did. Um, He knew that there was something going on. He didn't know the extent of it when we got married, but very quickly as it blew up after we eloped, then he he realized um, what he (laughs) got himself into. And fortunately, he found a wise pastor that counseled him very carefully for the first year or so of our marriage. And that made a big difference. So he was getting the help he needed about how to meet my needs and how to demonstrate truth and love and forgiveness to me in meaningful ways so that I could start to see a difference between my new life and my old life. That was a big part of it. That's important because I think, I don't think, at least for me, it's it would have been very hard for me to tease out or to, you know, just to kind of discern what what I learned about my family. Two things that really helped me was moving away like you did and having a husband who hadn't been raised the same way and could kind of look at it objectively and someone who loved me and who was on my team as well. So I think having that combination. So those who are listening today, if you've had that kind of upbringing and you, and you haven't had the luxury or the ability to move away, if you ever have a chance to move away for a period of time, uh, it actually is really great. Or if you can create the sort of boundaries that can help you to step outside of the situation or if you can give somebody who loves you permission to speak truth about what you cannot see, because that is so helpful. And the other thing I think that's interesting and what I want to explore is how in the heck do you, how do you figure out who is Jesus when you were raised in an abusive environment and everything was about rules and towing the line? I, I just don't know how you... How, how have you kind of, I know it's still a journey for you, but how have you made your way back to Jesus, the real Jesus versus this kind of angry taskmaster, frustrated Jesus that you grew up with? Um, at first, I threw it all away. I remember one day, just at, um, just uh, a few weeks after we had gotten married, physically picking up my Bible and hurling it across the apartment because Everything I read just reminded me of of pain and and of loss. I had lost everyone that I knew when we moved away. I didn't have 
any friends, any family, any money. <laughs> we had nothing. And so I was really angry at God and very confused because, you know, you are raised to say, if I behave a certain way, if I say these certain things, if I say these prayers and I go to church and I do all of these nice things and I obey all of the rules, God is going to bless me. And I ran away from my own safety and lost everything it looked like at the time. So now looking back, I can see that God took all of that. Obviously, it was a gift for God to take it all away, to strip it, to to enforce. God was enforcing these loving boundaries for me. So I didn't have any more of that and I could rebuild a new thing. But then the only person I had that I could depend on was my new husband. And after a couple of weeks of letting me kind of try to settle down, he started dragging me to church. And it was <laughs> so kind. I did not want to go to church. And besides that, we were living in a new in a new place. And when he had lived in South Florida, he went to Spanish church. And obviously Spanish church was not going to do me any good. <laughs> I am not a tongues speaker. So uh, we had to visit new churches. And that's always awkward anyway, going to a new church as a stranger. So he dragged me along to churches every Sunday and made me go every morning um, before we went to work. He would he would make breakfast and then he would open the Bible and read just a couple of verses and pray. And he started this this tradition and he's not a legalistic. You have to do your devotions every day. But every time this has been a pattern, every time we've gone through something difficult, that's been how he how he ministered It was by meeting my physical needs and then quietly meeting a spiritual need with no demands. He didn't demand I pray. He didn't ask me to read. He didn't even say, now how are we going to apply this to our lives today? He would just read a couple of verses, close his Bible, and and then we would leave for work. And uh, that, by him living that kind of Jesus, that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. He met people's physical needs. He healed them. He broke bread and fed them. He gave them rest. He raised them from the dead. He healed their leprosy. He met their physical needs. And then he, he said God's words to them and showed them that he was the life um, that came down for them. So I think that is what did more than anything else, being able to see a little bit of of God in the flesh through my husband, if that doesn't sound sacrilegious, but he really was living that out for me. So I think um, anyone who is who is going through that, those beginning stages of trying to find God um, after a terrible hurt in God's church, um, yes, setting those boundaries is really important. I mean, my husband turned off the ring or the phone and we installed one of those old-fashioned answering machines, even though we didn't have any money, he he went and bought one just so and said I was not to answer the phone and he would listen to the messages at the end of the day. He would bring in the mail. I mean, it was really secluded, but in a good way so that no messages could be coming in while I found a new a new way of life. And then um, slowly learning who are safe people that I can trust, you know, first by learning to trust my husband, which was a long, long journey in and of itself. But then also learning as he began introducing me to safe friends and helping me make friends and and learn how to um, worship in safe churches um, went a long way toward helping me develop healthy relationships that would help me get a glimpse of the true love that God wants us to have for one another. 
And if I, if he were here and maybe I should interview him for the Restory show someday, would he be interested? Do you think? Yeah, he would be an even more interesting guest, <laughs> much more interesting guest than me. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I would like to know, like, and, and you can answer for him, but maybe uh, if you could ask him if he'd be interested to be on, I'd love it. But how did, when he met you or, or he was first married to you, did he realize that there was some brokenness here or did it kind of slowly dawn on him or did he kind of know he was taking on a project? Not that you're a project, but you know, I, yes. I, I just feel that way. Cause I, I know my, I was a, a project to my husband and I'm just curious, like what kind of, what compelled him to love you and help you and what did he see in you? And I don't know. I, I mean, you're awesome and I see great things in you, but I'm just curious, like how did he go through all that? Well, he fell in love with me because I'm breathtakingly gorgeous. Well, of course there's that. that. Of course. There's so the first time he sat eyes on me, he fell in love with me. And that's only a partly a joke because he actually did tell me, I think it was like five days after we had met each other, that he was going to marry me and that we would have lots of children together. <laughs> and and he was true. a prophet. And it was only four months later that we were married. So yeah. it all went really fast. <laughs> I think he would say that he knew that there was definitely some problems there. I definitely acted like someone who was suffering from trauma. And if you've adopted kids from hard, hard places, or if you've counseled people from trauma, you know, there are some idiosyncrasies in their behavior and, and their dysfunction in relationships. And I had all of those markers, definitely. But he, I think he didn't realize how deep it was because he always said when we got, when we were first getting married, he said, don't worry, they're your parents. They will always love you. And parents always love their kids. And this is it's all going to be fine. Yeah. Well, he came from a perspective as we were talking recently from a, from a family that loved everyone who did everything wrong. So <laughs> no matter what, yeah, exactly. so that was his perspective. He did not get kicked out of his family. And part of that is cultural. Hispanics have much stronger family ties than the typical American does. It just goes so deep, but also, yeah, they're, they're just that way. So it shocked him that I was, that I was disciplined out of my church and then that I was disowned and disinherited by my family. He had never seen anything like that. He kept saying, but you just got married and, and you weren't pregnant. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, there wasn't even, there was um, no controversy there. So there was really no controversy other than I ran away from college and eloped. But it was it was more than than they could handle, obviously. And I think it was a lot of shame, too, because it really broke up, you know, their public image of who our family was. So that that really shocked him. But he did just jump into it. The um, the quality that is most important to my husband in a relationship. And he says this all the time is loyalty. That's what's most important to him in friendships and in our marriage is that. And which I guess is instilled partly from his, his family background. So to, in his mind, there was nothing that was going to make him love me any less. So he was committed to the long haul with this crazy woman, no matter how big her problems were. And he was going to do whatever it took to continue to love me in those hard places. Mm. That is so encouraging. And, and I think what I love about it is it's a really good lesson for all of us who love someone who's been through trauma. And I, I think God places trauma victims in everybody's life. Sometimes we're the trauma victims. Sometimes there's other people who are trauma victims. And really the best thing to do is to be consistent, to be loyal, to listen, to love no matter what, and not to give up. 
and, you know, sometimes create boundaries. But other than that, it's just, there's nothing more infectious and beautiful about someone who loves you. And uh, I want to just, you know, publicly commend him for, for walking you through this. And I also want to public, publicly commend my own husband because when you've been through trauma, there are reactions that you have that you cannot control and you wish to God that you could. And, you know, recently you and I were talking and we were talking about church and, and you were saying sometimes it's still hard for you to go to step into a church. And so talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the trauma of you, you came back to Jesus, you love Jesus, you haven't abandoned Jesus, but you've had to shed some of the legalism of the past, and it's still not easy for you to walk into church. And so talk a little bit about that, because I think some people can really relate to that. There's something about about trauma and about re- overcoming um, a legalistic background that, that they have in common is you don't just wake up one day and say, praise God, I'm healed from this, and then you don't have any more problems with it. We wish it was. I wish but instead, so. It's, it's like this insidious weed that has been planted in your life and you can pull it up and the lawn will look nice. And then you get to another stage of life or you encounter another trial and then you realize, oh my word, it's all cropping back up again, or it's in a different place in my heart that I didn't realize or affecting a different part of my perspective that I never recognized. And so for me, um, overcoming overcoming some of the the lies that I had told myself about love, about relationships, about about how God deals with us. These are things that I've had to deal with again and again at different stages of my life when once more I found myself a parent and had to to um to try to figure out how am I going to be a parent that's different than my parents. Or then it happened a couple years later when I found out I was having a daughter and it's the mother-daughter relationship because that's that's where the abuse happened in my home was, was between my mother and myself. And so there was a lot of fear I had once I realized it was a generational problem in my family, then the fear of, am I, am I cursed to keep repeating this with my own daughter? And then when they became teenagers and, and um, remembering where I was and where my parents were in the relationship and seeing the difference or trying to find a different way of re of, interacting with them as teens and as adults. These are all different areas that, that we have to deal with it over and over again. And it's going to come up in different ways and like unexpected anger or anxiety or, or just tears and despondency or fears that seem so unfounded to healthier people that, um, I hate to say healthier people, but to other people with different backgrounds that are different from us. And the same thing is, uh, is true with legalism. You know, I thought after I had reestablished my relationship with God, I'd come to an understanding that he does love me. He died for me, that that his death covers um, the sins I had committed to protect myself as a victim, that it that it covered the sins of those who had sinned against me, that God only wanted my good and that it was this curse in this world. It was this fallen world that he was trying to save me from. Um, so coming to a new understanding of that, um, as a young adult, wasn't just a one-time freedom, though, in God. Instead, I found, you know, a few years later that I'm I'm working in a church that is very ingrained with legalism, but it feels so comfortable to me. That was 
the rules and the way we this just the way we do things or how we have a good testimony, I guess, is how the Baptists say it. Having a good testimony was very natural to me. And it felt like this is it was the default. And it took, again, more painful rooting out from the Lord going through um, some really um, difficult ministry experiences for me to realize this still isn't the truth. I'm still not completely depending on God's grace. And I'm going through it again now as God's showing me um, differences between how Christians relate to one another inside the church and outside the church and what does it mean to meaningfully support one another and encourage one another um, apart from apart from man's rules or man's expectations. So I think we have to have courage and we have to have forgiveness. We have to have courage to be able to say, maybe the way I live my Christian life, even as a fairly recovered Christian, maybe how I'm living right now is still is not sanctified. Maybe I still have more to learn. Maybe God still has more things to teach me about his grace. Maybe sometimes the pain in my life is to point me more toward him. And then I have to continually um, practice forgiveness, not just forgiveness toward my family or forgiveness toward other adults who enabled um, pain in my past, but forgiveness now toward other Christians who are still wrestling with legalism in their hearts or in their churches or in their ministries. So it's not, it's a journey that we have to be willing to continually walk um, in faith and to trust that God has a better purpose. You know, I, I cling to to my vision of when we are ultimately in heaven and we're all at the throne and God has to reunite us together. And so the people, those Christians who hurt us and those Christians who harmed us, Christians who sinned against us grievously and we can't make it right, they don't want to make the relationship right, God has to bring us all together. He's going to forgive us all. He's going to, um, like I always imagine, kind of adjudicate. He's going to mediate between us. He's going to come together and bring us back together so we can sit next to each other at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that happens first. And then we are all going to feast together and we're all going to be one. And there won't be any more of that hurting. There won't be any more of that division. And I can't wait for that. Sometimes maybe these painful divisions that we feel in our hearts and in our relationships are to remind us we're going to be united. We will fully be God's image one day, and then it, it will be so much more beautiful. It will. And there is in this world, we will have trouble and there will be brokenness. And, and we even will not always reconcile with people on this side because the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace. Well, that takes two people and sometimes other people walk away. But yes, you're right. I look forward to that when all the rough edges are worn off of us and we can just love each other and see the unique image of God in every person in a way that maybe this world, you know, prevents us from seeing. So I love that that picture. And ironically, to go back to our discussion about boundaries, sometimes the kindest thing we can do even to other Christians who are hurting is to erect those boundaries because we're protecting ourselves from being further hurt by someone who we can't make them stop. I mean, I'm not talking about somebody says something mean to us at church and we say, that's it. I'm unfriending you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if this is a habitual, you know, someone is harming us and we've said, please stop, or this is how, how this is not safe and they're not 
being respectful. They're not being loving. They don't want to repent. So then we need to protect ourselves. And that can be a loving, a loving act to them too, because it, it makes them stop sinning in that way against us. So at least to a certain extent, it's going to curb their sin. And when they can't continue in it, at least toward us, that also allows a space for the Holy Spirit to work in them, to continue to convict them if they are a child of God, so that they might come to repentance. And that is what happened to my mother. I know that doesn't, not everyone gets that beautiful reconciliation on this side of heaven. But I did several years after being completely out of contact with her. Um, she actually called and talked to my husband first because he answered the phone and fully apologized, like openly admitted her wrong toward him. And she had, she had been really ugly toward him after we got married and toward, and toward me. And then asked him as my husband, it, if he would help the two of us rebuild a new relationship somehow. And that was really, um, that's how I knew it was from God because I had been praying. I had erected this boundary with my husband and it had been a long time and I missed my mother. I really did. I had this longing always for, well, even as a child, I always had the longing for my mother's love, my mother's acceptance. And that doesn't go away just because you're an adult. And especially not when you start having babies and then you really want your mother to be there and to be part of that. So when that happened, I had, I had prayed that God, if God wanted me to have a relationship with my mother, I knew that I would know that it was of him, that he was working in it. If she openly confessed her wrong to me and to my husband, and if she respected my husband's role as protecting me from further harm. And when both of those happened in the same hour, um, he hung up after talking to her and came and talked to me in the bedroom about it and told me what she had said. And I just knew, even though it was really scary, I couldn't tell you how scared I was, how afraid I was to even talk to her, to even accept a phone call from her sounded just more, more painful than I could imagine. But at the same time, I was filled with hope because I knew that was directly God's answer to prayer. That was God's prescription for how to go to another brother that you have a fault with. So I knew that was definitely of him. And that started a beautiful relationship that um, we could gradually build little by little, so much different than, than we expected. It was more like two broken women getting to know each other and to be able to share how God was working in our lives. And we had difficult conversations, we had arguments, but we kept coming back to God brought us this far. And if God can forgive both of us, if God can heal us this much, then we know that God would continue to build in our relationship. So that lasted for just a, just a couple of years until she passed away. I think it was like two or three years. And then she passed away and I was able to share at her funeral in front of, you know, a church full of people who knew her past and knew the difficulties the two of us had walked to be able to tell them you know, this is the mother who taught me God's grace. This is the mother who showed me God's forgiveness. And it's the same forgiveness that he offers to all mankind, no matter how dark our valleys, no matter how deep our hurts, no matter how scarlet our sins, he covers it. He loves us. He wants to restore us to fellowship with him and ultimately fellowship within our families and within um, the church body as a whole. 
So every time I'm afraid or I'm hurt by a Christian or I'm filled with anxiety about the future or how can God use me or how can God restore me as broken and dysfunctional as I may be on any given day, I remember that God worked an incredible, sanctifying, renewing work in my mother's heart that was only by his grace and that he's going to continue. He promised that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So my faith isn't isn't my isn't my own works. I had someone, a counselor, tell me recently, I can't believe you still have faith after how many times you've been hurt in the church. And I realized it's because my faith isn't mine. It's not because I work so hard to have faith. It's not because I can make myself have faith in God. It's because Jesus came down and visited me one night when I was four and a half years old. It was because Jesus sat on my bed and listened to my prayers every night of my childhood after that. And it's because Jesus continues to hear my pain and to carry me through this life as an adult that I know he will continue to perform his work in me until he brings me fully to glory. That's amazing. And I think that is kind of related to the question that I'm going to ask you last two questions. One is what kind of advice would you give to someone who is walking through, you know, kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is after a real legalistic background? What kind of advice would you give? Well, I'm loath to give advice because the last thing you feel like is hearing advice after going through that. You're tired of people telling you what to do. I would say cling to Jesus. Jesus was crucified by the legalists of his day. He was killed by the very people who should have been the first to worship him. And that should help us to remember It means something when Jesus says that he was in all points tempted like we are. He knows what it means to be hurt by the by religion. And he knows what it means to pray all alone in Gethsemane when even his friends couldn't sit up with him. Mm -hmm. So keep clinging to Jesus and and walk in the faith that Jesus gives you. Ask him to help you understand what his word actually says. What is the real truth about your life? What is the real truth that he says in his word? And be bold enough just to rest in that. And then let God take care of all of the other people. We don't have to worry about getting Mm. back at them or fixing them or making them understand they may never. Just, Just deal with you and Jesus. And that, that is enough. I love it. And so the last question, of course, it always, Jesus is always the answer to the question. Um, but the last question is, how has Jesus restoried you in the past year or so? Well, I did not, I wouldn't have thought um, 20 years ago that the first book I ever wrote would be about this. <laughs> I'm actually so much more known for writing about homeschooling, but um, I felt this nudging from the Lord to write about what kind of difference do ordinary women make in the world. And so I thought it was going to be a book about leadership for women. And the more I started to to 
wrestle with the truths of what is real influence and what is a real life and what is what is the impact that you and I and our listeners, what is the impact that we have every day? And then I realized it's about the, these relationships. It's about the relationships that we have in our family. And then it's about the relationships we have with the painful people around us and how we allow God to heal us. And then how do we reach out and share that healing with other people? How do we give hope to the hurting woman next door or or across the aisle at church or across the country on Facebook? And that was how God really reshaped me in the past year. Because writing about that, this is the first time I'd ever shared publicly that I was abused. It was the first time I'd ever told the story about um, how I wrestled with my faith and and came up with a different definition than I had been raised with. And so that was really scary for me. You know how that is. When you tell the, the story about your past, it's really scary. And it was very scary for me because it was the very first time I never even blogged about it. I only whispered to like two or three close friends um, the whole thing. So I stuck it in the middle of a book thinking maybe some people wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but even know. Yes, God um, used it to bring up more in my heart that that I can grow more ways that I can grow in my faith in him, more ways I can trust him to continue to restore me, um, more ways that he is still um, reshaping me um, day by day, but also helped me to be able to rejoice with with readers when they contact me and say, wow, you know what you said about difficulties in marriage. Cause even though I'm married to a saint, we still fight. I'm a, I'm a big fighter. So I give him his money's worth. So <laughs> by talking honestly about, about questioning our faith, about, um, dealing with abuse and harassment and bullying and legalism by talking about this and to be able to rejoice with women who are also overcoming difficult paths and seeing God's grace in their lives. It has taken me to a different place in my prayer life and in my devotions and in my personal relationships. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful too. And I'm just so thankful you're willing to share your story so openly because I think a lot of people will gain some freedom from that. And so grateful for your words today. I look forward to the impact that they're going to have. And thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today, Leanne. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you so much for Leanne's story, and thank you that you are bigger than her past, and that you are more gracious than legalism, and that you are not an abusive God, but a God of tenderness and compassion. And for those who are listening today who may have a similar story to that and who are really wrestling with how do you forgive and how do you move on and how do you just see the world in a positive way after so many hard things, um, Lord, I pray you'd shed light. I pray that you would give us all the gumption to share our stories so that we could get those stories out into the light. And we also know that it is um, a supernatural act of you who enables us to be able to forgive those who have hurt us. So today I pray that each person listening today would just take that first step and say, you know what, Lord, I don't know how to forgive. I don't want to sometimes, but help me to be willing to forgive someone who's hurt me. Lord, uh, break through any of those hard places. Would you provide for people who are struggling with financial stress? And would you show us today that you love us in a real tangible us-shaped way? Thank you so much, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen. 
If you'd like to know more information about today's show, head on over to marriedmuth.com forward slash restory 3-9. And may you live a brand new story this week.